When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome to it. It's a road show Tuesday on Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, the Hall of Fame coach, on site with me down here at the single barrel. Jeff Smith has got his Husker red on. We'll see if Nebraska can end that uh, Big Ten hex. As uh, we are here at the single barrel, a little real red tip off at Nebraska, Illinois. We're here till six. Will Wilson, bless his soul. Back at the ESPN studios, uh, loaded show and plenty of room for you to get in as well. Numbers to dial up, 466-3776-466-3776-800-825-5865. We are streaming live here from the Single Barrel on ESPN Lincoln's Twitter feed, also on ESPN Lincoln's Facebook feed. So uh, you can see uh, my lovely face. We may bring Will Wilson in to keep folks from from getting ill uh that beautiful smile will has will's getting creeped out uh jeff smith is here can find on twitter at uh, jsmith14 on twitter at schmidt underscore radio at uh will on the radio for you did i screw that up will did i no i got it good at will on the radio uh, is where you find will wilson and uh, plenty to get to brad edwards college football insider mr sec Get his takeaway from Bama, Georgia, last night. The uh, the viewership is in still uh, 22, 23 million uh, plus viewing, but uh, one of the lowest uh, watch parties, so to speak. Uh, it's fair to say about SEC fatigue. I do not want to block any of those beasts on the line of scrimmage, Coach. That was some physical football. So we'll dive into the title game. More on Nebraska as they continue to hit portal home runs, uh, at least on its surface. DeAndre Jackson looks like a big-time back that is in. Uh, you have some uh, reaction across Oscar Nation with kind of the uh, – we've heard of double-secret probation with Dean Wormer in Animal House. Uh, you have the very quiet contract extension of 2020 by Bill Moose to Fred Hoiberg making the buyout $18.5 million. Some thoughts on that. Mitch Sherman will join us in hour two. You have the phone numbers to get in and uh, can send an email. Chris at HaleVarsity.com can also comment to us uh, on uh, the Facebook feed as... Uh, that is real easy for you to do at ESPN uh, Lincoln uh, on the uh, the Facebook feed. So there you go. Uh, we uh, welcome in Coach. Coach, I'm done rambling here. Do we want to made do a made for TV arm wrestling match? 
We can go get Kofi, yeah, uh, Coburn. He's around here. There's the buses. Yeah, so the buses are off somewhere. to our left. Illinois is is grazing in the basement. No better place to eat than the single barrel. We love the, the steaks and, and the whiskey. And if you're a Nebraska fan, you might need one after or before this ball game. But, yeah, Illinois is uh, primed up, ready to go, unbeaten in the Big Ten, 11-3 overall. That'll a lot be, of places that, to that'll start. we take that Bill Murray and take that knife and cut that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, folks. Oh, right. I, you you have that, uh, cut that tendon. Yeah, you, he'll, yeah. never, he'll never swing again. He'll never shoot the jump hook again. <laughs> wow. Vicious. <laughs> they were desperate times. Vicious. Desperate times. Man, uh, yeah. I'm it just is, kidding, people. It is desperate, and Kofi's going to be a beast. We'll dive into plenty of that. But uh, I want to start off with just kind of your take on things. Coach, you spent a lot of years at the Division One level, a big-time assistant with Coach Nee at Nebraska, that golden era of, of tournament runs. And listen, I, I loved Bill Moose as far as just the, the personality. I loved getting to, to see him at media days or at the stadium or after practice. Bill was a, a good dude to say hi to and just kind of BS with. But from a management standpoint, uh, you have uh, reaction today of, of an extension, a quiet extension of, of Coach Hoiberg in 2020. So this isn't new news. It's been there. It just wasn't public. It wasn't uh, as public of, a, of an extension as Scott Frost got. Okay, let's add, let's add two more years to your deal post-2019 uh, in 2020. Fred got taken care of, so that makes uh, his contract all the way through the 2026-2027 season, i.e. rounding this thing up to you know, at $3.5 million a year, plus some retention bonuses in there, $18.5 million. I hate talking about people's money, and I hate talking about ending someone's tenure, but it just doesn't look real good. March is, is a ways away, but this uh, continues to be uh, a lot of money tied up with, you look at what Fred's owed, uh, you look at what you're on the hook for with this building that, that all programs are going to use, the new football slash athletic facility. And and then you also have a restructured deal, Coach Smith, for, for Frost, but it's been pretty – the feel is, you know, go, go get it done this year, Scott, uh, and uh, and let's get to some postseason. That's a lot of balls in the air for, for old Trev the juggle. He can do it, but, man, uh, that's, a, that's a lot of money on top of being the program – that has paid people to go away for two decades. Yeah, this one kind of sounds like a don't ask, don't tell kind of thing. Nobody asked about their, a restructure, and, and they didn't tell anybody. And, and I think, you know, I think some reporters could probably dig deep and found it, but mm-hmm. it, they didn't, so they're not going to tell anybody. In t- unfortunately, in today's world, you, you, it seems like you have to re-up these contracts just for recruiting purposes so kids see mm-hmm. that he's in great he's shape, in. he's not going anywhere. And everybody, everybody thought this was a home run hire, and I still think it's got possibilities. Obviously, we're extremely frustrated right now, and we just didn't compete in the last game. And, and when people see those kind of figures, you know, their expectations are awfully high, and when they see his record at Iowa State, the expectations are awfully high, and, and we're not meeting those expectations right now. And, and, and so people, you know, that's just something for in a public university, people are like, you need to be open and share with us what's going on, and, um, and that didn't happen on this one, but uh, people get over it. Um, I think the main thing is the, the present and the future right now, um, what we have to focus on, and obviously there's talk already, you know, about, about Fred and his future here. Um, I'm still a Coach Hoiberg believer. Mm-hmm. I just don't think this chemistry is right. I'm not sure these players are all right um, for us and for him. But we can talk about that more in a little bit. Yeah, well, and that's what I'm, I'm interested in here is, 
and I know Fred's an NBA guy. I know Fred's been, uh, you know, a, a consultant. He's been a head coach in the NBA. He's been a development specialist. He, I mean, he has done it all, and he earned it uh, because of, of what he did at Iowa State, played in the league. He is a guy that, to me, it seems like you'd want to go run through a wall for, not from a motivational standpoint. He isn't Coach Switzer, but just because of how good a dude he is, right? And and his his schematics work. Uh, when Nebraska runs the offense and they pass it more than three times a possession, it work. It can work. You've had lack of execution. You've had lack of heart. You've had lack of, of desire. And at this level, that, that should be non-negotiable. And, and he, you, you, can, you can have one oops or two oopses, in, in my humble opinion, in a 10-year where you have a team that doesn't show up and compete. It's one thing if you're playing UNLV or the Fab Five or the Jordan Bulls and they go out and they're that good and they smoke you. Uh, it's another if, if it's just so lackadaisical and there's really, really no give a damn defensively. And that's what you saw in Rutgers uh, uh, over the weekend where, you know, Vegas says it's seven and a half points on, on a – all right, you weren't hitting your shots, and, and Nebraska was not hitting from three-point land again. Maybe you get drilled by 20, but that thing could have been 40. I mean, Rutgers could have named their score as it was a layup line or a drive-and-kick session, and Rutgers is good. Look, they've beaten Purdue. They're uh, a fringe NCAA tournament team. It's not like you got beaten by somebody that is is of, of low caliber and, and not a, a, a power five team, but you've lost a group of five teams and you've had this inconsistency uh, when it comes to response. You've been kind of a, a group of front runners, and there's just no real interest, buy-in, or desire to to want to relish in the experience and, and go go get it done for your teammates. You're here because you got to be for a reason, and it's kind of a, a stepping stone spot. That's the feel I get with a number of kids on this team. I agree. I think they've made it a little bit too much of advertised too much of a stepping stone spot, and I kind of I kind of question: Are they trying to showcase themselves more than playing for Nebraska? You know, are they are they in their little NBA combine right now because Coach Hoiberg has connections with GMs? They're coming in and watching them and not really worried about winning enough and not really hurt when they get beat like that enough. And, and you have to question that. Um, you know, I, I think Coach Hoiberg came into Nebraska. He's not running the same system he ran at Iowa State. He's running more of an NBA system. Give me give me a, just with your expertise, Coach Jeff Smith with us here at the Single Barrel. What, what was he doing at Iowa State? What's he doing now? Well, I think he's getting back to it. I think at Iowa State there was a little more of a post-up game. I think he ran guys down the middle of the floor to the rim a little bit more now and got some easy ones with that and quick post feeds. Um, and I think start of this year, it was a five-out concept that mm-hmm. wasn't really it wasn't really popular when he was at Iowa State. But the NBA that with with um, Golden State and some of those teams that became popular, and I think that's what he tried to incorporate here. But I think now he's going back to getting the ball to the elbow a little bit to you know and and operating from there. Um, and and getting some post up and attacking the rim a little bit more than trying to live on the three point line, which I think they thought they were going to do there. So I think that's I think that's one factor. Um, I, but I think it starts on the defensive end. I, I was I was just shocked sitting there watching that defensive performance, and really just the the give where we gave up defensively. There was no rotations. We haven't boxed out well all year. And I, if our defensive fundamentals don't get better, uh, we aren't going to win in this league. We are going to be 0 10. I was. I was just looking up some stats. 
stats. We're shooting 28% from the three-point line, which I know isn't acceptable for this coaching staff, but our opponent's shooting 36%. So that's a 6%. That's a huge that's a huge gap between shooting percentages just from the three. We're small and fairly quick. We're not big enough, but we should be able to defend the three with our quickness. And people, you know, Ohio State, the freshman, he's getting wide open looks, and we've got to shore that up. I, I can't believe Doc's not going crazy, and even and Fred's not going crazy on this defensive. They're probably effort. about the only two going crazy. Same with Gates. I mean, those guys are defensive-minded guys, and I mean, Fred made his living being a, a guy that can hit the three and, and a hustler, and and a guy that would be gritty, right? right. I mean, that's how Fred lasted as long as he did in the NBA. It was through his effort and his intelligence. And he, yes, he's athletic and he's talented, but there were some in, uh, some 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 uh, intangibles he had that he brought to a practice floor or as a sixth, seventh, eighth guy off the bench, or even you know when he would get some starts in the NBA. So so Fred's climb to success was 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 a lot of heart okay and and i i know gates is a guy that can preach defense and that's how doc's been a head coach in his past uh, past few years it was i mean doc always hung his head on his hat on defense uh, all the way from utep until he got the gig at nebraska and even with uh, as tough as his situation was at southern miss because that thing was a nightmare and he took that job head on they at least play defense. You're not getting any of that. And it's and, and to me, it's not that the coaches aren't screaming defense, but, man, uh, there needs to be some consequences. And it was pretty late in the season where you finally started seeing some consequences where you take a horrible shot or you're selfish with the basketball or you're not doing your job. We're going to pull you. And you saw uh, occasionally McGowan's get pulled. He's young. Verge is not. Verge has been in, in college basketball for four years. He still gets pulled quite a bit. The one guy on the floor that I think is, is given incredible efforts, Walker, yep. and I think Wiltshire also on both sides of the floor are doing it. Other other than that, man, jury's out. Jury's yeah. out for me with the rest of the rotation with uh, giving a hundred and well, 90% on, on the offensive and defensive ends of the floor. Yeah, and I th- the one thing that I think you hate to do as a coach is pull on mistakes right away. And that's kind of what they've had to go to. They're, they're pulling on shot selection, subbing. I, I kind of wish they'd sub on lack of box out and lack of rotation defensively and lack of closeouts and just awareness of where the ball is and where your man is. I, I, sometimes I think they switch so much they lose people, and that causes that gives them the wide open threes. But I, you do you don't want to coach that way. But he's been forced to coach where he has to sub when to get the message across because it's, it's just hasn't been there. It's been it's too perpetual. I, I did a little research last five games, excluding Kennesaw State. Mm-hmm. So Rutgers shoots 58% from the three. Their season average is 43, which is really Jeez. good. Michigan State shot 51.8% from the three. Their season average is 46.5. Those are good shooting teams. Um, excuse me, that's field goal. Three-point was 55 for Rutgers, 34 for the season. Three-point for Michigan State, 47 for the season, 39. um, Ohio State, 47% from the three, 39 for their season average. Um, Kansas State, we should have beat Kansas State just based on stats. They only shot 23% from the three. They're a 34% three-point shooting team. And then Auburn shot 45%. 
and their season average is 35. So those those four seven to ten percent above their average. Yeah, they're they're ten percent higher than pretty much across the board and where they usually are for the season. So our field goal defense is not, and we're last in the Big Ten, of course, in field goal defense. So I think when you're taking the ball out of bounds all the time too, it affects your offense because you're going against a set defense every mm-hmm. time. And that's one of the things we looked at as coaches when I was at Nebraska. If we're getting scored on too much, it's gonna it's gonna it, we're we're gonna score ten less points at least mm-hmm. um, on, on average. And we want to score in the 70s you know 80 90 if we could but if you're taking the ball out of bounds all the time and you're playing five on five basketball and especially before the shot clock was you know really involved uh, it, it, that made it tough so we have to get stops to create offense and, and get some advantage breaks and um, have a chance to beat some of these teams you know no uh, no even sniff of transition if you're doing the old uh baseline out of bounds because you gave up another three ball from distance. Jeff Smith is with me on site. Chris Schmidt, single barrel road show Tuesday in front of Nebraska, Illinois. There's a few select Big Ten ball games. We are here at the single barrel for ahead of uh, Nebraska, Illinois today. Uh, we'll dive into some of the matchups. We'll get into the portal as DeAndre Jackson is in. And of course, you have the national title game last night, Alabama and Georgia. Georgia fist pumping for the first time in 41 years. We'll hear from Brad Edwards, college football insider, Mr. SEC next to Tail Varsity Roadshow at the Single Barrel. It were presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And we're back. Fellas, you think we could listen to the radio? On Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome. Back into it at Tail Varsity Radio Roadshow Tuesday here at the Single Barrel Credible Steakhouse. I am going to fire up a big old thick steak before Nebraska, Illinois. The Illini come in ranked, a third-ranked team out of four for Nebraska basketball. Uh, Illinois is uh, here. They're just... Well, down the hall from us is Kofi Coburn and company. Or one bus door is open. They yeah, must be getting about ready. We'll to see leave if here. some Nebraska basketball fans come visit us and they bring a live chicken, <laughs> a little major league style. Uh, what basketball uh, is in store tonight? We'll see if Nebraska has a way better effort. Incredible effort last night uh, for the national championship. Thank you so much. Uh, you had uh, Georgia and Alabama. We bring in college football insider Brad Edwards uh, knows uh, Saban and the Bama program well and Kirby Smart and what's going on with Georgia at J. Brad Edwards on Twitter. Brad, thanks for making time today and uh, talking some college football, uh, a send-off that was a field goal fest until a pretty explosive fourth quarter. What would you think of last night? Yeah, it was an unusual game for sure. You know, I had a feeling that the second matchup could go very different from the first one. Not not just because Alabama had lost John Mechie in that first meeting, and I, I knew that they wouldn't be as prolific in the passing game without him. Uh, but just in general, that both teams had really good defenses. Uh, we we know Georgia's is, is really good, but Alabama statistically is one of the best defenses in the country. And in the first meeting, the offenses really had their way, and without you know two interceptions that Stetson Bennett had thrown. Uh, Georgia would have scored in the 30s in the first meeting. Uh, but you just felt like after some adjustments were made, it could very easily end up being a lower-scoring game. And uh, sure enough, that's what it was all the way up until the very end. And, you know, for Georgia, they have had uh, some really bad luck and some tough breaks and just 
devastating things happen to them in some of the recent games against Alabama. And I, I think that uh, some of that luck went the other way last night. Now, certainly the, the play that happened, that fumble by Stetson Bennett that the Alabama guy recovered uh, kind of unknowingly, uh, you know, right before he stepped out of bounds, um, that, that was a, a big unlucky play for Georgia. But just the injury situation for Alabama, which uh, I think that the straw that broke the camel's back was – the Jamison Williams injury in the second quarter. And uh, from that point on, you know, it was a it was a tie game with three quarters to play, and Alabama was without its two best receivers and its two best corners. And, uh, you know, I, I remember thinking, if Georgia can't beat Alabama now, I don't know when they ever would. And, and uh, it stayed a game for longer than it probably should have, but uh, Georgia finally got that elusive national championship win. Brad Edwards with us, College Football Insider, uh, a book out from Brad as well on that Bama dynasty. And Coach Saban was about 10 minutes away from adding another title to the uh, the old mantle. And, yeah, you're right. You get the fumble. Bama finally punches it in the end zone. They're up, God, what was it, five points uh, with, with 10 minutes left. They don't usually lose a lead like that. And in fact, they grow their lead. But I, Bennett's response, and specifically Georgia, once they were down, they I don't want to say they played scared, but they quit playing conservative, and they put a really nice drive together to, to, to answer back. Were you surprised Georgia was able to answer, or did you think they had that, that sort of mental fortitude all along? It, it finally just came to fruition in the form of making some plays. Yeah, I wasn't surprised they answered because they've been a really good offense all season. I guess maybe it was surprising in the context of the game and and that Mm -hmm. they had had a lot of difficulty, especially in the passing game. And and Bennett looked really shaky at times, especially in the first half. Uh, But they came out after Alabama took the lead and uh, they decided to attack uh, one of Alabama's inexperienced corners. The guy who had the least experience was making his, his, uh, I guess, his first career start um yeah i think that was the first game he ever started in his career um and uh they they went after him of course he had the pass interference where he just tackled the receiver who got by him on a double move and then the uh, the touchdown pass they went right back at him again and that was a great catch i mean his his coverage wasn't bad he actually might have interfered but didn't get called um but but it was it was a you know great strategy by by georgia to do that uh, great throws that were made by stetson bennett and uh, as a college football fan, I was just happy that Georgia went out and won the game in the fourth quarter. You know that it, it, it wasn't a national championship that was uh, that was captured by the losing team blowing it uh, or, or giving it away uh, in some respect. Uh, but but Georgia, with their backs against the wall, and and you know, kind of the, the script flipped on them, uh, being the team that was trailing in the fourth quarter made the comeback, and they made a bunch of big plays down the stretch, and they uh, they just went out and won the game. Hey, Brad, this is Jeff Smith. I'm sitting in with Chris today. In watching that game, too, I felt like, and see if you agree, in the second half, Georgia just ran the ball straight at them with a lot more success. I don't know if they challenged their offensive line, except for the flea flicker that they tried and the reverse <laughs> they tried, which I was like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. But you, you, they did establish that ground game a little stronger, and I think that opened some other things up, if you agree with that or not. 
Yeah, they did. In fact, I, uh, I figured they would try to do that from the get-go, and obviously they didn't have much success in the first half, um, but it certainly seemed to be a point of emphasis in the second half, and I think it was a big deal. They had to do that to be successful offensively because those are, are two of the best run defenses in college football, and it was going to be tough for either team to establish the run, but for Georgia, I felt like it was more important because if neither team could run, that basically reduced the game to Bryce Young versus Stetson Bennett. You're just kind of a quarterback duel. And uh, that's not a battle that Georgia's going to win very many times, if ever. Uh, and, and even with Alabama's top receivers out, it's still going to be difficult to win that. But by being able to establish the run and, and all of a sudden get the Alabama defense off balance where they weren't able to you know, get those third and longs and pin their ears back. And, I mean, look, they – I mean, for for as as much as Georgia improved its pass rush from the first meeting to the second meeting last night, um, Alabama improved theirs even more. I mean, Alabama just—I I don't know what they ended up with five or six sacks of Stetson Bennett in the game. Uh, they had more sacks than Georgia, and a lot of that was because Georgia was facing a, a bunch of third and longs, and so um, they they had to get in and you know third and manageable and not put Bennett in those situations. And, and they did that by being able to run the ball a lot more effectively in the second half. And obviously the, the long running play by James Cook early in the third quarter was enormous, uh, or midway through the third quarter, whatever that was, that, that, that set up the first touchdown of the game. Um, to, to, you know, for Georgia not only to, to finally make a, um, you know, to get into the end zone, but to take the lead after having, you know, after Alabama having had, I don't know how many possessions with an opportunity to make it a two-score game and was never able to get that done. For Georgia to take that lead, I think, just gave them a ton of confidence in the second half. Brad Edwards with us, college football insider and author on the Bama Dynasty, Hale Varsity Radio Roadshow at the Single Barrel, uh, head of Nebraska, Illinois. Brad, uh, a thought here on, on the Kirby-Saban relationship. I know mentor and uh, mentee, but uh, what what's what's Saban when it comes to all of Saban's coaching tree? Where does where do you think Kirby ranks as far as likability? Uh, it's kind of I'm asking you know who is Nick's favorite kid? Where's Kirby rank there? Because Saban doesn't like to lose, but man, it looked pretty pretty classy in the post game handshake between Saban and Kirby. Yeah, I, I think I think there was a little bit of bad blood when Kirby first went to Georgia, not because he went to Georgia. Uh, but because of some of the recruiting tactics he used, uh, you know, with some of the players who both schools were recruiting in the first couple of classes, but but I, I think to some degree that's water under the bridge now. And, and let's remember, Kirby was with Nick uh, from the LSU days and and stayed with him uh, at Alabama for a long time. Even though he did have some opportunities to, to take head coaching jobs, he waited for the right one. I'd say he did. Did a good job waiting for the right one and uh, and chose well, um, and and you know I I think given the loyalty that Kirby had to Nick all those years, uh, that there is an appreciation uh, for that on Nick's behalf. And so um, look, I, I I think as he said last night, I think it was genuine when he said if, if we can't win it, you know I love to see one of my one of my guys win, and uh, and I think he was really proud of Kirby. Look, Nick Nick knows very well how close Georgia has been and how Alabama's ripped their heart out a couple of times, especially the, you know, the, the overtime national championship game four years ago. 
get theirs. And I think at the same time, Nick also knew that this year's team had no business being in that position. I mean, they you could make an argument that no team in college football history has ever lost as much talent from one season to the next as Alabama lost from last year to this year. Uh, by all rights, they should not have been in the position of, number one, being in the national championship game to begin with, and number two, to have the lead in the fourth quarter. Uh, it was remarkable that they got that far, but at the end of the day, I think Nick was well aware. He, he's seen enough great college football teams to know that, that Georgia is one of them and that Georgia's team, top to bottom, is better than Alabama's team. And uh, the better team won. Um, that's not to say that Alabama couldn't have won and, and might not have won if, if they hadn't had a, another key injury during that game. Um, but the better team over the course of the season is the one that, that won the championship. And, and I, I, I think Nick's okay with that. You know, he, he knows he's been doing it long enough now that he knows he's not going to win it every single year, but he is probably going to put his team in position to have a chance to win it almost every single year. Brad Edwards with us, College Football Insider, Dale Varsity Radio, at Edwards on Twitter. Brad, about a minute here. Real quick, uh, you've seen a lot of the SEC. Mickey Joseph uh, now in Lincoln from LSU. Bill Bush now in Lincoln from LSU. Uh, what kind of bump, in your opinion, can they give Coach Frost in Nebraska when it comes to recruiting and also some development? That's a great question because uh, I've kind of given up uh, after the whole Scott Frost difficulty transitioning to try to speculate on, you know, moving from one region of the country to another and whether there's carryover. I I really don't know. I mean, I, I do have to say that overall, I don't I don't know what roles individual coaches play. I can only look at the whole program when you're not talking about a head coach. Sure. And LSU obviously they developed some guys and had a fantastic team two years ago. And then when you look at the way that they just kind of fell off a cliff, um, who do you hang that on? I have no idea. So there obviously is a lot of really good, and then there's some stuff that's kind of shaky uh, for those who have been associated with LSU's program in the last few years. So, um, you know, who who gets responsibility for what? I don't know. I'll let other people sort that out. Uh, But, but, there's no question that the, the coaches at LSU did a lot of good stuff in recent years. Brad, we'll do this again. Thanks for the time today. Appreciate the insight. Chime in, 402-466-ESPN, or email the show, chris at hailvarsity.com. Just try me, try me. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Good stuff from Brad Edwards on uh, the SEC, on Bama, on Georgia, on Mickey Joseph and Bill Bush, and the job they did down at LSU, bringing in talent, uh, of course, uh, well documented here that LSU squad from two years ago. We'll see if that can translate. And Mickey Joseph has been doing an incredible job with some talent acquisition through the portal. Uh, pretty interesting here. Jeff Smith on site with me. We're here at the Single Barrel Roadshow Tuesday with Hale Varsity Radio in front of Nebraska 
and uh, Illinois. Illinois is finishing up a few things here at the graduate before they get on the old bus and make the trip just about uh, two blocks away to PBA tip off at 7:30 on BTN. So when we look at the uh, 2022 numbers for Nebraska's scholarship, 14 high school plan- slash JUCO players, and then 10 portal additions. So Nebraska continue to, to uh, continues to go uh, portaling. And uh, one of the portal additions today, Coach Smith, is uh, DeAndre Jackson. Uh, stop me if you've heard this before. Maybe you heard this story last night during the national title game about somebody being buried on the depth chart and then uh, emerging. Uh, we'll see if that happens in Lincoln for DeAndre Jackson, uh, former four-star running back. We're talking the 56th best back uh, slash player in the country. I mean, that's that's big time. Jimbo doesn't recruit slouches <laughs> down to A&M. What we don't know about Jackson is just – you know, what is his ceiling? Because the COVID year really uh, messed up. I mean, think about the recruiting, right? It was so hard to, to get film on senior film or know what to, to expect out of junior film. Just to, from the high school ranks, if you're a college coach recruiting, you've lived that world before. And now you look at t- touches and, and the ability to make plays and, you know, what kind of what kind of carries, what kind of reps are you getting? Uh, so uh, minimal action here with DeAndre Jackson four games last year and uh, just a handful of touches in 2020 but man oh man you look at uh, the size uh, we're talking uh, pretty well built well over 200 pounds we're talking 511 the comparison that is out there Diedrich Mills uh, and uh, you got a little sixth gear with a guy like Jackson here yeah, he can hammer away for you between the tackles, but he can also get the edge and, and maybe put a home run together. I think he's a really nice blend of of, of bulk and uh, brawn, but also some speed. Yeah, and I, I, they, they had to, I, I think, recruit him off his high school, you know, what they saw in their high school film. And it, he, he just didn't really get a chance at Texas A&M to show what he can do at the at the you know Power Five level, and hopefully he'll get to do that here, and hopefully it'll be the a home run. Um, but I, I think he had some had a really great high school career. Obviously, when you're ranked that high, and um, it does sound like he has a good combination of speed and power, which is what you want, I think. And uh, we just got to fill that room up, and then s- somebody's got to you know separate themselves and step up, and and uh, and and hopefully you bring a few guys in. The competition will be fantastic, and and we'll have a couple guys we can choose from to give the ball to, and 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 get some runs going, get the running game going. What is nice about Coach Whipple, and uh, this has been highlighted quite a few times. Coach Whipple's uh, all about throwing the football and and being able to use advantages. But sitting sitting down with him and in that that media roundtable session when he was introduced. He's a he's a throwback man. He's a he's a Ohio Valley kind of rust belt. There's snow in November. It's gray and cloudy, and it's time to hand the football off to a Jerome Bettis or you know pick a big back. He was able to to use the weapons he had, and he had some great weapons that he helped develop at Pittsburgh. But he gets the Big Ten. Uh, you want to be able to throw the football. I mean, it's a domino here. It's going to be contingent on Raiola getting uh, some some options in at the offensive line. He's done that. Uh, coach those guys up. Let them become smash mouth mentality. Uh, and, and then be able to, to be com- comfortable and confident 
and leaning on the run game. Uh, it's okay to, to question Nebraska and their, their lack of success running the football. I think it, in their heart, be it Coach Frost or whoever the running backs coach is going to be or, or the offensive line coach, they want to be able to run the football against Iowa. They want to be able to run the football against the Big Ten West. That's how you're going to win. I don't think the confidence level has been where it's needed to be, Coach Smith, uh, for, for a while. And, and it's, it's, been, uh, it's been problematic. Either you don't feel like you can run it when you want to or you can get a third and short or we don't have the guys that, that either A, know what to do or B, I'm not sure if they can get it executed because we didn't see it in practice, whatever the case may be, because you've had you know, four years of of making your quarterback your top running back. Yeah, and I did like Whipple's comments, you know, even back to the Pittsburgh days when they when they knew they had to run the ball to establish themselves and they could do it. They, they forced themselves to do it and, and won championship. Um, I, I really like those comments. And he did. it did sound like he got the Big Ten um, all the way. Um, you, know, he, you know, the thing around here is run the dang ball. Mm-hmm. Not dang, but I was kind of thinking the other day. It's a good hat. Block for the dang ball. You know, <laughs> I mean, we just got to do a better job. And I hope that hope the change helps us there. Um, they brought a couple guys in or, you know, recruiting-wise and, and exper- some experience. I just really hope we can block more. Cons- there was times we op- opened up some good holes, but it just wasn't a consistent um, game-by-game, play-by-play effort. And I think that's where it starts. And, and you know, we've, we've talked pipeline a lot. And, and let's just hope that Mr. Riola can get that going again and, and get some consistency in blocking for – to protect our quarterback and so he can hand off and we can get some consistent yardage. I think that mentality is there. I think that mentality existed with, with Greg Austin, uh, honestly. But I think you're going to have more of a, of a voice heard uh, because you're going to have Whipple as the OC. He's not related to Scott Frost or, or uh, a past buddy, okay? Yep. Uh, Coach Riola is... Uh, from the Wisconsin school, and also uh, he's a Riola. So he's all about fundamentals and want the, the want to, to, to go dominate who's lined up across from you. Those are good things, and it's going to be their ball game. It's going to be getting guys ready, whether it's uh, some new faces at guard, whether it's some, uh, some changes position-wise from tackle to center, whatever the case may be. Uh, Nebraska's going to have to be able to run the football. What we do know about... Casey Thompson is is he's a guy that was really good uh, with touch and accuracy and being able to get the football out. We also know he had a hell of a running back that's a Heisman candidate returning in Austin in Robinson, running the football for them. And for him to be what he showed on film, putting up 38 points a ball game for Texas, he's going to need a run game behind him. Uh, and it, it can't be 2.0, just a different name and jersey, uh, with asking your quarterback to do everything. I get it, and you've been in position before where you have a really big-time difference maker, so it makes sense as a coach to get that guy the football and or, or, or basketball and let the other team try and stop him. But you want to talk about overusage and too much dependency, uh, you've seen that. Uh, you've seen that at Nebraska from time to time. It's kind of a blessing and a curse to have such a great player. We talk about Adrian Martinez and what he did to get out of trouble and what he did when he got in trouble. It was kind of a, uh, a grab bag there. You need a different reality here in 2022 with a run game, with a, with a competent offensive line. Because I think you've recruited the talent here. 
on the offensive line. Now it needs to get coached up. Right. And I felt like I felt like this year we made a big strength level jump too. We competed with the teams that we needed to in the Big Ten strength level wise. So that another year in the weight room can only help this offensive line with a lot of guys returning. It looked like Casey Thompson on film too is a guy that he's he's a little more of a pass first guy. I don't think mm-hmm. he's going to try to escape real early. I think he's going to hold it hold and read just a little longer possibly, which could help us and it could help us develop that way too. We'll uh, have more on Husker basketball and football single barrel where we're at here on a Tuesday with Hale Varsity. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Get ready for Nebraska, Illinois. It's a road show Tuesday here at the Single Barrel. Single Barrel just opened their doors, so you're invited down. Get a steak, get a whiskey, get a cold one, get a cup of coffee. Jeff Smith, the Hall of Fame coach with me, Chris Schmidt, will uh, spend some more time on Nebraska football. Fred Hoiberg's quiet contract extension by the Moose. Mitch Sherman in 10 minutes. Pete's on the line. Pete's hanging on. Pete, thanks for calling. Go ahead. How you doing? How you doing? We're good. What do you know? Oh, not too much. Couple, three things I wanted to bring up and get your opinion on. We we focus on the offense on the Nebraska football team, but you know the defense give up long drives almost in every game in the fourth quarter. It seems like in the second half the defense kind of got wore down. That defense has to get better in the second half of games uh, to win more games. It's not just all on the offense. And the second thing I got is in the NIL, what would happen if the professional football league would take kids out of high school instead of making them wait three years? How much do you think that would kind of change the landscape of NIL? And third, it, mm-hmm. my third point is I don't understand on the COVID list why it's so important to be vaccinated when unvaccinated and vaccinated people are contagious uh, just as contagious. Uh, the only difference is is maybe it lessens the effects a little bit with the vaccine. But but there's such an important emphasis on that, and I'd kind of like you to explain that. Well, it comes down to to more, you know your you uh, the COVID morbidity, right? What would and folks that get sick and aren't doing well with COVID that are hospitalized that are ventilated that or in the hospital. My wife's a nurse. She's there every day and she sees COVID patients and sometimes she sees COVID patients that are new mothers and it's just really rough. Um, so if, you know, it's, it, there's no like cookie cutter take Pete here on the vaccination thing. It affects people differently. And there's just data by folks that have a lot of letters after their name. They've gone to medical school that say, look, it's it's important for your health and safety, for your friends, your family, everybody else to to have that. That's my response to you, but I'm not a doctor. I'm a I'm a, I'm a radio dude that'll wheeze into the microphone. So yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a lot of us just we can't fill up the hospitals and put our put our you know nurses and doctors mm-hmm. at risk of getting this also, and then being just then not being trying able to, to find serve, room to service, treat people, service other people besides just the COVID. Yeah. Um, and it may be not as important, you know, the vaccination may be not important at practice or on the on the field, but but overall with this looking at societal. Yes, you know, it's a this, bigger picture. It's a bigger picture, I think. Real too. quick on the NIL, uh, the NFL would, would have to invest and spend money to, to form a minor league system. It's cheaper for them to let the colleges 
have a college football league and and then go take your your best dudes after three years. Defense does need to get better. Uh, defense wore down at the end of the year, yes, Pete. But uh, defense kept you in a lot of ball games through one half of football. Uh, in my estimation, the offense has got to pull their weight more so. Defense, I thought, was was the strength of your football team. We'll get to Mitch Sherman coming up. We'll spend a little bit more time. We can come back to this in hour two. Pete, thanks for the call. Jeff Smith, Chris Schmidt, Will Wilson, Hale Varsity continues. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmidt's underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmidt. Back into it at Tower 2, Hale Varsity Radio Roadshow Friday ahead of Nebraska and Illinois. Down here at the single barrel inside the graduate. Uh, we welcome in with the athletic. It's Mitch Sherman at Mitch Sherman on Twitter. Mitch, how's your week? What's new, man? It's uh, going well. Got some good viewing of the national championship last night. We had a an entertaining game, I thought, and um, new blood with the championship. Not a lot of reason to complain. I know people like to complain about the college football playoff, but it was the same old teams, but Georgia hasn't won this thing in 41 years, so happy for them, and uh, they, were, they were good. Okay, Mitch, when you look at Georgia's talent – Top to bottom, year after year, all the draft picks, all the guys that can play on the uh, skill spots, and then the defensive line, offensive line, talent they have. Uh, how often should Georgia be winning it? <laughs> Not every 41 years? Yeah, more than every 41 years, more often than every 41 years. But you got that state next door uh, with a pretty good school that's made it difficult. If Alabama hadn't been there and Nick Saban hadn't been doing what he has for the last oh, 15 years, Georgia would have had more championships right now. And really, these are two schools that, that are, are using the same formula. Um, they're using the Nick Saban formula. He was, he was uh, Kirby Smart was Nick Saban's right-hand guy for a long time at a number of stops. And you know, he finally got the best of him on that, on that night last night. And it notable. You know, it's great. It's a great accomplishment for Georgia. Take nothing away from them. But it's notable that to finally get over that hump and beat Alabama. It had to happen um, in, a, in, a, in a season where the Tide had, had just beaten Georgia um, last month. And then with two of Alabama's best receivers, it probably its two best receivers on the, on the sideline and a couple other key, key players too out. Now Georgia is going to have to deal with injuries too in the 15th game of the year but there were some key pieces missing for Alabama. It doesn't take anything away from Georgia. I, I just find it um, you know, I, I just illustrative of how difficult it is to topple the beast that is Alabama, um, that, it, that it happens in that kind of a situation where, where, where the Tide are missing some key pieces. And still, you had the Heisman Trophy winner out there down eight points in the final minutes with the chance to, to go down and send that thing to overtime. And I think a lot of people thought that's where it was headed before that, uh, that turnover. 
The Ringo pick six sealed it, and they're still partying in Athens. Mitch Sherman with us from The Athletic covers uh, Nebraska. Does a great job. Hail Varsity Radio Roadshow Friday. Uh, check that uh, Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> uh, getting ready for Nebraska, Illinois. Mitch, uh, want to go to Bill Bush, the news this week. Your, uh, your reaction to his hire. We know he's been on staff now. He can uh, do some on-field coaching. What, uh, what does Bush mean for Nebraska? Well, a continued emphasis on improving special teams. Nebraska tried to do it a year ago without moving a lot of pieces around. He did have Mike Dawson in that role, but he was he was busy coaching the outside linebackers, you know, which is which has turned into such a big piece in the Nebraska defense. I know Eric Chenander, the defensive coordinator, gave him help with the nickel linebacker spot, but uh, you know he's busy with with those with those guys. Um, with the edge rushers, you know, with the more traditional outside linebackers, and to try to add special teams on top of that is awfully difficult. So this is a more natural fit as Nebraska has moved its defense more toward that four-man front for Dawson to be able to take all of those guys um, without Tony Tuioti on staff and then hand off the special teams entirely to Bill Bush. So um, you're adding a strong recruiter, you're adding a, a guy with a lot of experience on the defensive side as a coach and with the special teams. Um, and, and more than that, I think just a message that it sends to internally, um, externally, but more importantly, on the internal side, a message that it sends uh, to everyone in the program that Nebraska is now um, taking it more seriously uh, even than in the last year. It didn't work in, in 2021 with the level of uh, – dedication that Nebraska gave it so this is a, another step and you've already seen Bill Bush uh, involved in the recruitment during this interim time of a scholarship place kicker who will be here in the summer of a scholarship punter who is in Lincoln already and a couple of return specialists from the south who should help kickstart Nebraska's return game uh, right away next season. Nebraska's had a pretty good uh, last couple of weeks recruiting with what Mickey Joseph's done. You mentioned Bill Bush, and he's been a lot of different stops, and he's been really good at different stops, uh, bringing in difference-making talent. I think he can help out uh, as you look at Nebraska, Mitch, between the portal and then the high school ranks. Is Nebraska poised to make a move? with uh, not only Mickey Joseph, but also Bill Bush, a uh, one-two punch. We know how well it worked at LSU not long yeah. ago with their title run. Yeah, it upgrades Nebraska's recruiting prowess for sure. Uh, the emphasis is on winning and, and on winning right now, but um, to be a fully functional program, of course you've got to be looking to the future. And, you know, those guys ha- have uh, have built their careers – on developing relationships and recruiting. And, 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 you know, I think at LSU that was the most valuable aspect that you found on that, on that Ed Ogeron staff, you know, going back to the national championship year and, and the, the role that both Bush and Joseph played in bringing in key players. Bill Bush was, was the lead guy on Joe Burrow and getting the, the, the star quarterback from Ohio State to LSU through the portal, you know, go back in his career and he recruited Alex Smith to Utah, another number one overall pick. So he's been around 
high-end talent both of these guys have. You know, Mickey probably even more so with the receivers that he recruited to LSU and, and the players who play that position in the state of Louisiana and in that region that, that he has had success recruiting. So it, it strikes an important balance for Nebraska in, in putting this staff together with, to include Bush and Joseph in that they have the important Nebraska ties. They have um, a loyalty to the Nebraska program and a strong desire to see this this team and, and this program succeed with Scott Frost. Um, but they but they also have experience recruiting the the, the cream of, of the crop when it comes to um, you know where they've been and the players they've been involved with. So um, yeah, from that from that perspective, uh, Nebraska probably could not have done a lot better. Uh, than, than securing both of them in the, on the 22, 22 coaching staff. A few minutes here, Mitch Sherman with us from The Athletic at Mitch Sherman on Twitter. Mitch, uh, do you like DeAndre J- Jackson, uh, uh, committed earlier today, transfer, another portal addition for Nebraska, uh, pretty highly ranked running back, uh, hasn't seen a lot of time, more of a, more of a physical runner, but does have some, yeah. some giddy up to him. Uh, do you like that addition for Nebraska's running backs room? Well, it creates more competition. That's good. We, you're right. We haven't seen much of anything from DeAndre Jackson at the college level. At Texas A&M, he was buried on the depth chart and didn't get an opportunity to play in the SEC, and that, that I'm sure led to his decision to move on and find uh, a spot where he thinks that he can get on the field. Uh, it's not going to be easy at Nebraska to walk in and unseat uh, Ramir Johnson, who took took charge of that position in the second half of the 21 season. You have Gabe Irvin coming back off of uh, season-ending knee surgery, and then another year for Jaquez Yant to get himself in shape and and you know be a back who's got a, a full off season uh, of knowing what's out there and knowing how to play the position. Um, and Marquis Step too, who whose playing time fell off as 21 went along. Uh, you know he. He's a year, another year removed from the from the injury that he had, injuries that he had at USC, and the surgery that he had in the spring last year after getting to Nebraska. So, um, if all of these guys stick around for spring ball and through the spring, you're going to have a lot of competition. And and, uh, and Johnson just adds another piece to that. He seems to be um, a physical guy, somebody that, that uh, could potentially be a short yardage, um, you know, third down kind of back. Um, and, and whomever Nebraska's running backs coach is, when, when that coach walks in, uh, he's definitely going to have some bodies. He's going to have some things to work with. Um, you know, the question will remain un- until Nebraska gets out and plays in 22 or, you know, we see the final, uh, the final look of this running backs group. If you've got a, a home run hitter in there, if you've got a guy to rely on week in and week out to, you know, to get you 100-plus yards. And, and um, you know, nobody in, in that group has – has done that to this point in their in their college careers. Mitch, real quick thought before we get to, to basketball and in the Hoiberg contract scuttlebutt. Uh, what do you think of uh, Casey Thompson? I know it's been a while since he announced Friday. Uh, you've been uh, all over his name as a big target for Nebraska. I like what he can do. We'll see what he can do. But uh, another another addition. It's just been kind of portal mania for Nebraska. Yeah, and this is what was promised when Nebraska was going through the fall 
uh, with recruiting and the, and the talk of small numbers. And I think there was some skepticism about whether Nebraska was going to be able to appeal to the kind of players that it has been able to. I mean, transfers now from Texas A&M, from Texas with the quarterback, from LSU with the wide receiver. Nebraska has a defensive back in County Hill. Um, who was a highly rated player at Arizona State. So, they're, they, yes, they've recruited some guys from the FCS level um, and some specialists who didn't play at the biggest places in the country. I don't, I don't think that's important for specialists. Um, but, but the later ads that Nebraska's had through the portal, Thompson included, at, were at some of the biggest and best programs in the country. And it's impressive that Nebraska has, has pulled that off and done that coming off of a 3-9 and nine season with, with, with four consecutive losing years. You know, those guys, they want to win – um, and they understand what it takes to win. Uh, I'm talking about the, the the Power Five level transfers as much or more than than anyone uh, who's out there looking for a new school. So some wins there for sure, and none bigger than Thompson because you needed a quarterback. And you know he is the the heavy favorite going into the spring when Nebraska starts next month uh, back on the practice field uh, to to win that job going into into the fall. So a really important add, and we'll see soon if Nebraska is done or if there's more work to do through the portal with the QB position. Mitch, tip-off coming up here at uh, PBA, Illinois, Nebraska, a third-ranked uh, foe out of four for Nebraska. Uh, didn't expect to win at Rutgers, but didn't expect 31-point uh, deficit and really just a lackluster second half. Folks are wondering about Fred's future. Coach Hoiberg, uh, no one really ever says a bad word about him, uh, but, man, the product on the floor is uh, a little rough to watch. And now uh, the reaction to... Uh, I guess uh, a contract that's been around for about a year and a half, but everyone thought that, that Fred was kind of on his original deal before the moose left for the for the <laughs> for the ranch. Uh, a quiet extension given to Hoiberg, making that buyout uh, over eighteen million dollars. What's your reaction? Yeah, a whole year before before Bill Moose left, so this wasn't really something on the way out the door that uh, that he awarded to Fred Hoiberg. It was it was back in twenty twenty. Um, you know, those contracts, of course, are on the University of Nebraska website. You can see right there, anybody can, that that, uh, that he signed uh, for enough time to, to earn $18.5 million in a buyout if, if he's let go here this year. You know, I, it's, it's premature, I think, to, to talk about firing him and to talk about uh, the kind of money that's going to have to be put together. I, you know, I do know that... That's a that's a huge number, and <laughs> it's uh, you know it's going to get some attention uh, if if it gets down the stretch of the season and things look as dire as they do right now. Uh, just about what it would cost Nebraska to make a move. Of course, these things don't happen independently. Nebraska is is right now on the hook for for paying a large number to complete its its football complex, which is not just a complex for football; it's a complex for basketball and. And other sports too. I don't know that basketball will use it as much as um, as some of the Olympic sports or the non-revenue sports because uh, basketball has its own state-of-the-art facility over uh, next to the Devaney Center with the Hendricks Center. But but uh, um, all of these things work together, um, and and the money that's devoted to football and and you know you saw a restructuring of Scott Frost's contract. It, it makes for an interesting conversation and and one in a conversation that's probably not going to be going away here as we get into the spring. Do you think that conversation, say things don't get better, does Trev have a talk with Fred about a restructuring, or does it matter because uh, of this deal uh, that, that moves green light? 
green lighted. Well, that's, yeah, he could do that. I mean, Trev Alberts might take that route. Um, you know, if he wants to be patient with Fred Hoiberg, like like he has been with Scott Frost. Um, you know, there's a precedent there, and, and, and I think it's something to look at uh, where. Uh, you you could definitely see that conversation happen. Um, it, you know, it, it really uh, it depends on how much patience Trev Alberts wants to have, um, how much he can afford to have, exactly what state the basketball program is in come the end of the season. I mean, right now it looks one way. Um, maybe we'll we'll be looking at it a little bit different, a lot different uh, in March. I mean, if this team is is. Uh, there's got to be a win out there somewhere, so you you don't want to say winless, but you know whatever zero one two wins in the Big Ten. That's that's uh, that's that's really really uh, a bad place to be in coming off of the two years that, that they've had. And I know there's there's ways to explain um, how this transition has been difficult and the pandemic has been difficult on Nebraska, but it, the conditions have existed around the country for. For all programs and, and obviously around the Big Ten. So there's not really a way to spin this in, in any kind of a positive uh, direction if Nebraska is, is you know, continues to trend in this direction with the way that it plays in the Big Ten. So um, we'll see. We'll see in, in March. Um, but like I said, that's a, that's a large number on that contract and, and certainly one way to, uh, to address it is to do something like Trev did with Scott Frost, where they, they have a restructuring uh, at the end of the season. Mitch Sherman from The Athletic at Mitch Sherman on Twitter. Mitch, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for a few minutes today. Okay, thanks, Chris. Take care. He's in his 30s, but sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hail Varsity Radio. I got the body of a taut, preteen Swedish boy. Thanks for hanging out. Hail Varsity Radio Roadshow Tuesday here at the Single Barrel. Chris Schmidt, the Hall of Fame coach. Jeff Smith, big basketball fan. Will Wilson back at our ESPN studios. We're streaming live. Real red tip-off here in front of Nebraska, Illinois, down here at the Single Barrel till 6. Tip-off at 7.30, so if you feel like a steak, if you feel like a big old pork chop, you uh, let, me, let me say this. I was here. I had Eric Church. We did a road show Friday uh, in front of Eric Church. We did the Korean barbecue pork belly skewers. Oh, pork belly is is code for that incredibly sucks. thick bacon. And Coach Smith, your your mouth is watering it is, here. It is. We did the uh, the chicken dip that was Italian chicken sausage. It was incredible. We also did the crab cakes. Uncle Nate helped me here from Gary Michaels. And then we did the uh, the old shrimp cocktail. The the pictures of shrimp cocktail at the press box of of Lucas Oil Stadium last night with. Uh, all the shrimp being brought in from the, the famous uh, steakhouse uh, in Indianapolis. Uh, it was yes, but I can't Saint Elmo's. Saint Elmo's, right? I mean, it was it was enough to make a stanza faint. Uh, that's that's how much shrimp was in Indy last night. Uh, title game that was interesting. Uh, numbers are open at four six six three seven seven six eight hundred eight two five five eight six five. Can tweet in at Schmidt underscore Radio at uh, Coach J Smith. 14 for Jeff Smith at Will on the radio for Will Wilson is where you can find Will. And uh, we are streaming live 
on ESPN Lincoln's Facebook and Twitter. So here till six ahead of Nebraska, Illinois. We'll have some keys here uh, for <laughs> for being competitive here in a moment. Uh, we'll do that in a moment. We're going to bring you in for a second. You're, you're not. Maybe you are. Let me see here as we look at you on the video. You're wearing your 90s Nebraska lid. Are, are you so frustrated with Nebraska basketball right now that did you torch your old Big 8 oh, Nebraska man. basketball hat? It had all the school logos around yeah. a, a green Big 8 logo. You wear that from time to time. What has happened to it? It's unfortunate. It broke a few months ago. And oh no! And Meg, who Duck is tape time. Meg, who is our colleague, you know, here at here at the radio station, I gave it to her because she said she could fix it. Uh, haven't seen the hat yet, so maybe that was a mistake. Maybe she she ran off with it. I mean, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not alleging anything, but you know, I just <laughs> I haven't gotten the hat back. So it may need to be sacrificed. Uh, you know, set on fire. Mm. Live chicken again, rum for Joe Boo, something to keep this this uh, current well, maybe downward trend. We, maybe we need to do the Ted Lasso, get the barrel outside. Every All the yeah. fans bring one thing and let's throw it in. Yeah, I think Next we, uh, road show. Let's uh-huh. storm out get there. a barrel, barrel at the single barrel. At the single barrel. Right. Light we'll it make, on fire. We'll make sure there's no uh, whiskey remnants. People Otherwise, that come down here and could come up. Yeah, maybe we'll need to do that. Bring an old hat or an old shirt, T-shirt. Let's throw it in. It's it's Ted Lasso. It worked for Ted Lasso. Good maybe idea. some of us still have, and I might have it somewhere. The old uh, congratulations T-shirts, yeah. Norm Stewart brought to you oh, guys. Yeah. Uh, I threw it out to Nebraska sit basketball fans. Sit down, Norm shirts. Yeah. Well, Norm came in after Nebraska won the Fiesta Bowl. Missouri played Nebraska like three days later. Yep. Yes, you know that. Yep. And Norm and all his Missouri Tigers started throwing out congratulations T-shirts and disarmed the crowd that was usually hostile towards Norm. I, I, I don't know what it was with Danny and Norm. They did not. Oh, it, it was Norm great. Norm did not like. I think they were so much alike mm-hmm. that they hated each other. And Norm Norm was just did not like Coach Knee for some reason. And they were very similar coaches. But that was not good blood right there. It was not good. Well, and from day one, it felt like Norm just, I don't know, uh, kind of patted Danny on, on, his, on his head. And Danny's the last guy you do that to. Yeah, I agree. I think Norm just wanted to be the king of, and, and he, I think he was a little intimidated by Danny. I really do. I think he just, he knew Danny was kind of a gunslinger and he didn't like it. And he didn't want him getting attention in the league. And he, he didn't like us, did not like us. You guys Those always fun, Those rose, fun rose up and you, you played and Chubbs and Chubbick and, and Pike. And I mean, you guys would, would, the way you built, you played so well against Missouri and Lincoln, and and I mean, I this was the Doug Smith, Anthony Peeler yep. era where they were they were at worst a two seed, yep. a one or a two or a three seed. I'll say this about Missouri or Missouri. You want to talk about a team that should have gone to more to some Final Fours? Yeah, I agree. Like, totally agree from, with you. From the mid seventies to the time Norm finished out to the Anthony Peeler era before he left for. Um, well, for the Lakers and you had Jason Sutherland and yep. they had, were they were super talented. They were talented. They, they were tough. They were physical. Yeah, and then the the Sammy twins, right? Yeah, yeah. Right? They, I don't they, know. They, they should have won playoff, more. Missouri should have won more. They didn't perform in in tournaments. No, as, you know, UCLA the got them. Yeah, Tyus but that was what that was what that was what I admired so much about Danny and Gary Bargan and Lynn Mitchum. They looked at Missouri. They looked at Oklahoma. They looked at Oklahoma State. They looked at Kansas and said, "We have to." 
I just never gets out of my mind Coach Nee always saying we have to have three pros if we're going to have a chance to compete in this league. We have to have three guys who are going to play in the NBA. And I'm like, can we get those guys? But we did. did. We did. And uh, then we started competing, and then that's how you win. You know, you get you get to the level of your top team in your conference, and and that's how you win. You know, and, and I look at just Nebraska basketball the last several years since transitioning to the Big Ten. You, you got the, the wonderful tourney run during 13-14 uh, with Petaway, with Shields, with Walt. Those were three fringe pros, or yeah. at least they're, they're yeah. playing pro ball. I watched the the replay on Big Ten Network of uh-huh. the fourteen team that and we had some talent, Shields yes. and Petaway and those guys. And at that that year, they were playing together and they were playing hard, and we could play with anybody. Mm-hmm. And that that kind of leads to my point with this team. Let's let's make our, it our yeah. current team. It, size is a problem. I mean, we you know Tominaga as a starter, he maybe he can he's shooting at average. But he's a liability on the other end of the floor. He's, he's, he's minus the, he's 15 every night. He's honestly three-size guy yeah. is what he is. And and now Big Ten's taking advantage of him in the post, going, just going over him for rebounds. I think he's got to be a guy that comes off the bench and maybe provide some scoring for us off the bench against second-unit guys from their team. I don't see him as a starter in the Big Ten. We are, we're we're kind of like Nebraska was in football a couple of years ago. Size was a problem. We wanted speed, not enough size. Now we have this team. We have to have a power forward. We have to, you know, Lat Lat's not performing shooting the ball, but he's also not a power, you know, power defender, power rebounder. We we need some more size. We can't manufacture that this year, but I hope in recruiting. And I know we got the big JUCO kid and stuff. But mm-hmm. and then of course Breidenbach getting hurt doesn't help. Yeah. He was he was a kid that was some length. But here's one here's one of my observations. Sitting there watching the Rutgers game the last few games, two of our starting guards, they need the ball in their hands. They they want the ball in their hands, and their first thought is to hunt shots or create offense for themselves, not necessarily for others for themselves and they they have the ball in their hands a lot so other guys are kind of trying to play with them now there has been a you know an emphasis on walker mm-hmm. um getting him and that's helped thank god yeah but now you know now teams are going to adjust to that too they're going to double and say hey if you can't hit more than 28 percent from three we're going to take him out of the game and just get to him quick um but but with those two guys bryce is shooting 39 percent from two which is not acceptable and and 24%. Now is he talented? Heck yes. But he is a freshman and he's not strong enough, you know, to really compete I love it when he takes the ball to basket when he when he goes hard cuz he, he he he's a great free throw shooter shooting 83%. Alonzo's shooting 43% from 2, which is one of the better on the team, although it's not great, and and 25% from the 3, and those two guys are having the ball in their hands a lot. And they're trying to create for themselves. I, if they can just think about creating for others a little bit better, and I know, you know, I know Fred's harping on. And then Lat shooting 21%, 22% from the three-point line. I don't know if he can be a starter. Either. I'm, I'm thinking we're going to see a, a different lineup tonight. I think something's got to happen. If they're holding guys accountable off of the film, something's got to happen for change. And, you, you know, uh, I, I just – I think Wilcher's got to start tonight. He's a little tougher defensively than Tamanaga. He's shooting a, he's shooting at a, at least a decent clip with 37% from the three, kind of a clip we need. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why he's not shooting free throws better at 58%, but everything else is pretty good. 45 from the field, 37 from – and he competes defensively. He will rebound for you a little bit. I'd be shocked if he doesn't start tonight. 
Jeff Smith with us here, Hale Varsity Radio Roadshow, uh, Real Red Tip-Off, head of Nebraska, Illinois. We were talking about that yesterday, you know, kind of the remnants here. We didn't spend a ton of time on Nebraska Rutgers other than, you know, Twitter was on fire Saturday afternoon and into the evening because you go get whacked by a team that, if, you, if they're going to beat you, should be about the 10 to 15 point margin, not 31 points. Coach, I love your analysis here as we, we go back to some of the glory years with Nebraska basketball and even some of the better years uh, with Miles in the Big Ten. Were they all perfect? No. And this kind of gets to the bigger picture discussion about Fred Hoiberg's quiet extension by Bill Moose that we talked with Mitch Sherman about. And Nebraska fans are asking that question, you know, is, is, is Fred going to be the guy? Because what we've seen so far is really rough. Just one road win. You're off to a brutal start. Do you even get double-digit wins here? You hope that's the case if you're a Nebraska fan because they've shown the ability. You're right there against Ohio State, who uh, as of, of this morning per ESPN.com is a four seed. Uh, Michigan State beat you by 10, 11 points. Sparty's a two seed right now. On the road. On the road. Yeah. So you, you have the ability on a given night to show up, compete, and hang around you also uh, have three instances and the film don't lie where your kids quit three times in one season you don't get that uh, you shouldn't get more than one maybe two in a tenure about a team tapping out and just quitting I know because I was was thinking back to the Nebraska days when when I was you know seven years here and Mm -hmm. you you asked me well how many of those did you have and what, what, what game, like, how many games did, like, you can get beat by 25 what, points? Wyoming on the road one time was just horrid. We just, we had a guy puking in the bathroom because of the altitude. We had somebody who didn't even go because of an ankle. We had somebody get hurt at the start. You of the had game. reasons. It, not... was, it was horrible. That was the worst loss I sat through as a Nebraska assistant. Okay. But we didn't have a, very many of those. Um, yeah, I, in fact, I was going back today just because I was doing a lot of prep for this show yeah. and stuff, and I was looking at our some of the games that we played back then and some of the scores, and we didn't get blown out much. Yeah. Um, even on the road, there was a few. But, you know, you're talking a seven-year stretch where I can count on one hand probably, you know, embarrassing losses. And like you said, we've had three this year already, and I that that is it, it. It just can't be accepted. It can't be accepted by the players. If we don't see it, an absolute hungry, determined um, team tonight that just, just that shows that they are embarrassed. <laughs> you know yeah, that we can see the what's, difference what's because they are embarrassed. <laughs> well, my approach my approach is number one, looking at the lineup and see what I got to do to get the people that are producing in games on the floor. Um, that's that's one. We'll come back with a few more keys here. Jeff Smith, uh, longtime Husker assistant, uh, Hall of Fame basketball coach. Uh, more thoughts here. Nebraska, Illinois, real red tip-off. We'll get into some high school hoops around that scene here as we're uh, working on mid-January. Hale Varsity continues. Roadshow at Single Barrel, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. He's in his 30s. But sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hail Varsity Radio. I got the body of a taut, preteen Swedish boy. One final time here from the Single Barrel Road Show Tuesday. It's a real red tip off. Chris Schmidt, the Hall of Fame coach, Jeff Smith. Will Wilson, big thanks to you. And uh, awesome stuff today from Mitch Sherman from The Athletic. Brad Edwards recapped the SEC uh, conference title game part two. 
uh, with Bama. Uh, lots of thoughts on Nebraska in the portal. DeAndre Jackson is in. You have a, uh, well, a buyout uh, number that is has increased with Coach Hoiberg uh, thanks to an extension that wasn't, it was public record, yes, but it wasn't public announcement by Bill Moose in the summer of 2020. So Fred's buyout's 18.5. I hope things get turned around if you're a Nebraska fan where it's not a discussion point anymore because Fred's a good coach. He just ain't going well. And some of you are looking at me cross-eyed. How, how can you say he's a good coach? He's a good coach. He just needs uh, uh, that chemistry and talent to, to emerge. Coach Smith, uh, some keys here for Nebraska. Obviously, Kofi needs to be defended uh, by by the Huskers in the paint. Good luck and God bless as well. well you, say about that, but also getting Verge to go, get yeah, going. Yeah, when you been off. when you're, I'm looking at Illinois. I watched the Maryland, some of the Maryland game, uh, Illinois Maryland. Um, when you put a game plan together, so you know you when you have a post like that, you got a choice. Are you going to kind of kind of make him earn his, but let him you know let him go one on one and you know maybe have to foul him some and use your bigs, mm-hmm. or or are you going to double because they're one of the better three point shooting teams in the league. They got a couple guys that are shooting high 40s. Man. So if you're going to double him, you're going to give up looks. I, I'm kind of leaning towards make Kofi score over you. If he if he shoots 90%, then it, you're at least giving up twos instead of open threes. But I think on the other end, he did have to sit at the end of the half. Maryland actually took a four-point lead on him. Okay. I would attack his butt early. I don't care if he blocks a few of our shots, but make the referees decide. Is that a body foul? Did he get him on the arm? Okay. Just attack Put him. Put it in their court. If you could get him in a little foul trouble, you, you give yourself a chance. Um and I wouldn't give up on attacking the basket just because he's big. I'd still I'd get to Walker at the free throw line elbow and let him attack off the mm-hmm. dribble and see if he'll foul, see if he can move his feet good enough. He's, a, he's an elite athlete. <clears throat> he's elite size. But I would attack him and just see what happens early. Obviously, we're going to have to knock down some shots. Um, the problem is Frazier is a really good defender with Verge. That's going to be a fun matchup to watch. They're both you know elite quickness. But I do think Alonzo is going to have to make some great decisions with the ball. He's going to have to score some like he can, but he's going to have to get other guys involved. And, and I think same with Bryce. You know, drive the ball at him because that seems to be your strength. Get to the line. But, but know when you're drawing a crowd, stop dribbling the ball and give it up and cut, you know, or get somebody else open. <clears throat> so I think I think we should attack them inside. I think we've got to got to decide whether we're going to help or not help on the big fella. Um, better do a great job of keeping them off the boards because they have a little more overall size and, and you know strength than us. Um, but play desperate, play desperate every dang possession, um, and and show these Nebraska fans that Ohio State and Michigan State were going to be more the norm than. And Rutgers was our last one of those this year because those aren't acceptable to Coach Hoiberg or us. Let's talk real quick about Bryce. Uh, we know he's a five-star. Uh, we were watching a little Golden State here during the break here, and I know we're down to about 30 seconds or so. Is it fair to say him and Wiggins are, are a fair comp? Yeah, you got you and I were watching that. I went down when Wiggins was a freshman and, you know, a five-star freshman, a one-and-done. He wasn't quite quite physically ready. And, and Bryce has some great skill, but he's not quite physically ready for the beating of the Big Ten and then the NBA. He'll get there because he's so mm-hmm. skilled and he's so long. But I think that's a great comparison. It took Wiggins four or five years in the NBA four or five really, teams. to really produce. And yeah. then Golden State brought him in and said, this is what we think you can do. We believe and you can do these things for us. And then when you're playing with a guy like Curry, you, you know, that helps too. 
Coach, it's been awesome. This is fun. All right, appreciate you. Hall of Famer Jeff Smith, big shout-out to Will Wilson. Back at you tomorrow. Come on down to the single barrel ahead of tip-off. Real Red uh, tip-off here, Hale Varsity Radio on the road. Uh, talk to you tomorrow at 4 on Hale Varsity.